Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Yeah, all righty. Welcome back, everyone. This is Brandon Odo with another Turbo. Today, I wanted to give you a list, a list of five things. And these five things are the things that I think are just about essential if you want to be excellent at what we do. Now, this could apply to an experienced clinician, but realistically, this is mostly going to come up for someone who is training, or at least is early in their career, because that's really when you're deciding the sort of person you want to be in the clinical realm. And... I've made some lists before I can link to on the blog uh, that I consider kind of rules for doing critical care well or doing it at an advanced level. But this really is focused on the definition of who you are as a clinician because, and we've said it many, many times, there are many ways to do this. And I'm not trying to be the one to judge what's a right way or a wrong way. All I'm saying is that if your goal is to do this at a high level, to really excel, to be the guy or girl who anyone around you sees in the room or looks at the work they're doing, and they're going to say, wow, you know, he, he's really hitting it. He's, he's performing at a really high level. That may not be what you want. There are costs associated with it. But if there are, and for some people, that's what they want, it's not completely obvious how you get there. You could say things like, well, I should study hard and so on, and all of that's true. But there are some things that are not as obvious. And yet, I think they're good markers and also uh, goals. In other words, if this is you, if you're just starting out, you're coming out of school, you want to get into critical care, that's your passion, you know it's what you want to do, and you know you want to do it at a high level. These could be things that you shoot for. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you should try to do them, and they'll help get you there. But also, you know, standing on the outside, if I'm going to look at you, I might look for these things, because I feel pretty good that if you have them, you are performing well and are at least heading towards excellence. And if they're not there, I have doubts. You know, nothing's impossible. The sensitivity and specificity are not flawless, but they're pretty good markers. All right, without more beating around the bush, what are the things? I'm going to give you five. The first one I'll refer you to just, I think, two turbos ago when we talked about taking notes. You are learning so much, especially early in your career, but frankly, even late. And I just, I absolutely know, unless you are a literal robot, that you're forgetting most of it. And at the densest times, like right when you're starting out training, you are probably learning dozens of new things every day. And if you are going to retain anything like the majority of them, you have to make notes or you're going to lose them. 
And as I watch people train and as you teach them things or they pick them up and they just kind of sit there passively, I just know that the, the portion of what they're getting out of this high value, high expense training time is just a, a minority of it. They're wasting most of it. Whereas if I see that every time they're learning something, they're writing it down. They're standing there on rounds when they're teaching points and they're, they're writing them all down. There's a, a lecture and they're writing things down. And then we talked about putting it in some kind of a durable, maybe electronic system that's searchable. Ooh, I know that that person is going to have those things the next time it comes up. And that way, instead of rehashing them and repeatedly getting through the same things so that at the end of any block of time, they have just the bare bones of the things that they managed to get through 10 different times until they finally remembered them. They're able to build on them and learn more and more advanced things. I mean, that's just so essential. Take notes. No exceptions. Number two, you need to be mentally simulating things, especially rare things, in order to learn from them without having to actually see them. Actual clinical exposure, particularly for uncommon things, the less common disease, the uncommon situation or scenario, uh, a particular flavor of unstable patient or complication or situation or procedure, they don't come along often enough for you to learn from them when they actually happen. So you must learn before they happen, and then when you actually come across it, it just confirms and reinforces it. It gives you a chance to demonstrate the competence that you have acquired and solidify it, but you already knew. That's the only way to really be excellent. If you're just sitting there passively like a lump, waiting for you to be dipped in hot water and gradually soak up the flavors of what's around you, it's not enough. It doesn't matter how high volume or high acuity the environment you're in is. It's not enough. You need to use your own brain to think through what you're going to do and what it's going to look like. Yes, you know, learn from the books and the lectures about the underlying content, but then apply those things and say, all right, I've learned in theory how to do a cricothyrotomy in a failed airway. And I'm not going to wait until it actually happens because Lord knows when that'll happen and that patient deserves better than to have me learning on them. I'm going to learn it in my head. I'm going to sit here and in my mind's eye, I'm going to imagine every single step starting from a very realistic picture of the scenario. We couldn't innovate them. We can't auctionate them with a mask. Uh, we can't rescue them with something else like an LMA. I'm, here's me making the decision. Here's me finding the equipment I need. What are the things? Where are they? Literally, where are they in my own setting? Maybe I'll go physically look at them. And then step by step, what am I going to do? And discovering all those failure points where you don't really quite know how to do this detail, even though you no big picture because you did that learning. You're finding those smaller points now. And then you're going to cycle through this over and over until it's fluid and then iterate it, make changes. All right, we don't have that piece of equipment. Then what? All right, the patient is a little different. The setting is a little different. Then what? 
Then when the situation comes along, it's boring. It's like you've done it a million times. This is not just procedures. This is for so many clinical things. I think you have to be doing this or you're not going to be excellent. Number three, you need an interest or interests, but at least one. Yes, early on, you're focused on achieving basic competence in many things. Yes, that's important, but that is such a low bar. And while you can hit that and be adequate and competent, if we're talking about excellence, you need to go farther. You're not really going to become excellent in everything. Even if it were theoretically possible to do that, you need a different mindset, which is that you're going to pursue something extra above and beyond in certain areas, which should be things that interest you. And you're going to develop specialties, in a sense, areas of focus and interest. And it could be areas where you're clinically particularly excellent. You could have excellence in uh, clinically adjacent areas like research uh, or quality or education or things like that. But in some ways, you have you have a niche, you have something that you're focusing on that you're going to bring to the table in the clinical setting, which is more than everyone else. If we put 10 clinically adequate, competent people in a room, I don't want to see that they're all the same. I want to see that person A brings some particular extra tools to the table. Person B does too, but they're probably different and so on. So that together as a group and a team, they have some really phenomenal things. Look at a, you know, a superhero team up like the Avengers. They're all strong and durable and smart and brave. But if that's all they were, they would not only be kind of boring, but they wouldn't be all that capable because what makes them particularly excellent are the unique abilities and powers of each one, which are all different. Find your powers. Number four. You need to be interested, excited. You should be having fun with what we do. Now, not every day. There, is, there are poor minutes, hours, or days, or heck, even weeks. But by and large, you should want to be practicing critical care. It should excite you. You should be having fun when you come and do these things. And partly because it's going to provide the motivation to do all these other things that we've talked about. To give you that, that impetus to do those mental simulations and to seek out your particular interests and so on. But also because this is just not worth doing otherwise. And this is one of the easiest tests that I can apply to someone by just standing across the room and looking at them you have those people who are, they're just kind of grumpy every day and they seem happy or not even happy to, to do the minimum and show up. And you have those people who are like, yeah, let's practice some medicine. Let's do some critical care. Isn't this cool? What about this fact? What about trying this new thing? Did you hear about this other idea? Hey, there's a cool case down the hall. They're always interested in what's going on, how it can be broadened, how it applies to what we know about disease and physiology, new techniques, new approaches, and they're just fun to be around and interact with. I'm not going to say you have to do this because we all know there are thousands of people who walk among us who are not this, but we're talking about excellence. I don't think you can get to excellence and certainly not sustain it without this. You could get there and then get burned out 
and then kind of maintain where you're at riding on your, your previous laurels, but you're not going to get any farther. And I, I don't think you would have gotten there if you, at some point you hadn't cared. Finally, number five, you need to assume and believe that you have weaknesses, flaws, points where you are not as strong as a clinician and probably as a, a co-worker, as a person, and look for them and try to improve them. This is an active process. It, it, it starts with assuming that you're not perfect, which is hard enough to begin with, and then it's, a, it's a, an active search for what those things are, which can be difficult because we tend to have blind spots for our weaknesses. You're going to hunt them out and then finding the ways to strengthen them, to build them up, bridge those weak points and correct them. This is the flip side to finding those, those areas of interest and honing those. You know, it's no good to be excellent at one thing and so poor at a handful of others that you're hurting people. And it, it's not just about those clinical things, right? Your weakness could be interpersonal. You're excellent, but everyone hates you. Your weakness could be professionalism. You're excellent, but you're always half an hour late to work. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be your weakness. And again, they're hard to find without really making efforts to find them. But you need to look because otherwise you're not going to develop. And oftentimes there's much more room for growth in those areas. You know, it gets harder and harder to strengthen things the more advanced they get. You end up looking for that last 1% and then half a percent and logarithmically tapering off. But you know what? If you have something you suck at, you can double your aptitude there with a, a modicum of effort. <laughs> it's low-hanging fruit. It's there for the taking. And yet, so many people never even look. Again, if you're not doing this, I don't think you're ever going to really get to that point of excellence. But if I see someone who is trying to find their weaknesses and then, heaven forbid, actually improve them, man, I'm pretty sure that person's going to be excellent. So take notes, do mental simulations, find your own area of interest and excellence. Be excited and interested and have fun with what you're doing, at least most of the time. Look for your weaknesses. Those are the five. And I'll give you one little bonus one that I don't, maybe you don't absolutely have to do, but it just falls short of absolutely. And that's to teach. Teaching helps so much with a lot of what we just talked about that it's, it's a tool. It's like a turbo booster that helps you get to these things. Even if you don't care about teaching, it helps you learn. It helps you find your weaknesses and develop your strengths. Uh, all the stuff we talked about. So I think it's right up there as a, a bonus sixth point. Guys, those are what I think you should be doing. And yes, there are other things that apply in more specific cases of excellence, but I think these are the kind of universal ones. Think about the people you consider excellent and consider if they have these things, and you might have to ask them if they're doing some of them. And then think about people who you don't and consider are they doing any or all of these? And I think you'll start to see the correlation. And then you can apply that to your own life however you want. But I think it's useful, especially when you're early on. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you guys next time.